This is Gliza for Classical Adventures for One, where I read classical work dramatically and discuss things about that work that I find interesting and want to share with my listeners. If that's something that you're into, stick around and let's talk about fictional books of the past. Today's chapter reading involved two characters that I've never heard of until I read this book, the griffin and the mock turtle. They were never really introduced in the Disney movie and I don't think they were ever part of any of the TV shows or movies that had a strong Alice in Wonderland influences. Personally, I don't know why as they're such interesting characters. The griffin seems to be this positive character, sort of like Winnie the Pooh, whilst the mock turtle is obviously Eeyore. That's why I tried to play my voice like him while I was reading his lines. If you want to hear it, the link to the first part of this two-parter episode is below. The art pieces for today's episode is done by the amazing Jostlicker. I hope I pronounced that name properly. He does a lot of realistic pieces, as you can see with the Alice piece and the Charles piece. He has done a lot of fantasy work as well as sci-fi work as well. I'm so proud to showcase such talented artists such as himself for this podcast, and I hope that eventually people will discover many different artists like him just by listening to this podcast. Check his page out, you guys, and show him some love and support. Problematic. That's a common word I've heard multiple times in multiple conversations about multiple celebrities, authors, directors, comedians, and favorites. Famous people that no one would think could be brought low, being rejected by their fans for being problematic. There are three that comes to mind for me, James Gunn, Joss Whedon, and J.K. Rowling. Why these three? I think for me, it represents certain aspects of being problematic or being canceled. James Gunn is the best scenario. Most people remember it and have accepted that he made bad choices in the past. And for the most part, people have forgiven him. He's working again and people are just happy to have him back. Joss Whedon? Well, the people are torn. Is he a monster? A lot would say yes. Is he still a genius? Maybe. People are torn and it is one of those things that is still developing. Even though for many, he has been problematic for as early as when he was still just known for Buffy. And for what he did to Charisma Carpenter, the lovely actress who played Cordelia Chase. As for J.K. Rowling, she's in the worst case scenario, I think. Almost all of the goodwill given to her has been lost. And sure, there are those that still support her because of her views, but a majority do not. Would she ever recover? I don't know, and it all depends on how forgiving people can be. I mean, they forgave James Gunn for his shitty comments that he has apologized for. Maybe if she apologizes for her views, people will forget and forgive her too. Problematic. That's a topic I want to focus on today, in regards to Charles Ludwig Dodson. 
This episode was so hard to do because I wanted to present it in such a way where it is without bias and clear, but how can I ever really present anything without bias when I'm only human? We all have our biases. I hope for today's episodes I can present to you Charles and you can decide whether Charles is a problematic fave or a misunderstood one. I will be tackling two main questions because that's honestly all I have time for. The first one is tame. Was Charles a druggie? Did he support taking drugs and was this whole story of Alice's adventures in Wonderland meant to support that view? The second question is a little bit harder. Was Charles a pedophile? Was he only interested in young girls in a sexual manner and was that the reason why the little family stopped associating with him? Oof. Already I'm hoping that I don't mess up this episode. Here goes the first question. Was he a druggie? From an article written by Jenny Wolf at the SmithsonianMag.com, she stated, and I quote, that Tim Burton had once described Dodgson's stories as drugs for children and Wonderland as a place where everything is slightly off, even the good people. One of my friends, when I was talking to him about starting this podcast, asked me if Alice in Wonderland the book was the drug trip that the movies were. And I always wondered, is that true? Would Alice in Wonderland be the actual work of someone that takes and advocates for drugs? In previous discussion, I spoke about how the Alice books does have a dreamlike quality about it. How Alice just accepts things and goes along with it because you never question your dream. You just go in, get it done, and wake up. But there are many who claim that Alice in Wonderland is due to Charles going on LSD and writing the worst, best acid trip of all time. According to Sarah Bellum from the National Institute of Drug Abuse, and I quote, Psychiatrists who introduced LSD in our society may have had a hand in starting this rumor, or at least the supporters of the 1960s LSD subculture did. But in fact, LSD didn't even exist when Alice in Wonderland was written. Reading Alice in Wonderland, I can't help but be impressed with the puns and the amazing wordplay that can be found in the books. Reading through The Looking Glass itself has such amazing logic. Lenny from AliceInWonderland.net is right in saying that these can only be the work of a sharp mind in full control of his abilities. This is Charles' style of writing that he has been using since his youth, his various poems, stories, and other writings, and especially in the letters that he wrote. If he was on drugs, based on the large amount of things that he wrote, he would have been on drugs 24-7 since he was a teenager. There were never any evidence that ever really linked Charles to recreational drug abuse. And the only time there were any reference to him using drugs was when he took opium for a toothache. It's also a good thing to know that in the Victorian era, they didn't have drug laws as we know them today. It was very easy to get accidentally high because of opium, cocaine, and other drugs that were used for medicine and can be obtained from a pharmacy. Based on the things I've read, I agree with Lenny and countless other experts who believe that, no, Charles did not actually do drugs and his writings were not influenced by drugs. Now for the harder question. Is Charles a pedophile? Was he interested in little girls in a non-innocent way? Was he, according to A.M.E. Goldsmith, suppressing sexual desire for Alice. During his life, according to Jenny Wolf, he was known as someone who loved children. He was a bachelor, the fun uncle, the uncle that you would take to when your kids just wanted to have fun. 
He was known for creating fun puzzles, great games that would entertain all manner of children, both boys and girls. Though it is well known, he had a lot of little girls as friends. After his death and 100 years after his birth, he was celebrated as a great lover of children and had a ward in St. Mary's Hospital named after him. The very next year, that writer that I mentioned earlier, A.M.E. Goldsmith, appeared with an essay called Alice in Wonderland, Psychoanalyzed, in which he suggested that Charles had a sexual interest or desire for Alice, using the fall down the rabbit hole as a metaphor for sex. Jenny continues that A.M.E. was no psychoanalyst, but was actually an aspiring writer who may or may not be parodying the 1930s Freudian ideas. Whatever his intentions were, many writers soon followed, speculating and saying that a lot of Charles' writings were metaphors, the long neck that Alice experienced, for example, for its sexual desires. The first to write a biography that was critical of Charles was Florence Becker Lennon, and I mentioned him when I was talking about the episode about Alice. He was the one that stated that many people wondered what he did with his love life, and now it can be told. He loved little girls, but like Peter Pan, he had no intention of marrying them. It was also Florence that spoke to Lorena Little and interviewed her about the reasons for Charles' break with the Littles, with Ina saying this to Alice later. I trembled at what I said to Lennon about the Little family's supposed riff with Dodgson. I said his manner became too affectionate to you as you grew older and that mother spoke to him about it and that offended him, so he ceased coming to visit us again. Whether she, Lorena, meant it, or she just lied to Florence, it's not really clear in her letter. Many more written ideas soon came. The idea that Charles was just not someone you wanted your children to be around with. To this day, even the BBC published a two-parter series that started off innocently enough and then became darker, bringing up this idea that Charles was a sexual predator. Yes, pictures fly around the internet of Charles and Alice in a passionate embrace. These were proven false and that they were created by one David O'Kane or one where Alice is sitting on Charles' lap. Again, proven false as it consists of three pictures combined. You can see these pictures in one of the links that I provided down below. Again, these were all fake pictures. There is no incontestable proof other than the analysis of other writers that exists that Charles was repressing any kind of sexual desires for his child friends. Ah, but Gliza. There are pictures and paintings by him of young girls in the nude. Gotcha. You would be right, dear listeners. There are pictures of Charles taken of children in the nude. Paintings of, again, children in the nude. But, and this is really hard for me to say, are we applying our 20th century brush to reject Victorian-era sensibilities? Jenny Wolfe says of the approximately 3,000 photographs Dodgson made in his life, just over half are of children, 30 of whom are depicted nude or semi-nude. Some of his portraits, even those in which the model is clothed, might shock 2010 sensibilities. But by Victorian standards, they were, well, rather conventional. Photographs of nude children sometimes appeared on postcards or birthday cards, and nude portraits skillfully done were praised as art studies, as they were in the work of Dodgson's contemporary, Julia Margaret Cameron. Victorians saw childhood as a state of grace. Even nude photographs of children were considered pictures of innocence itself. In my question, I echo Jenny Wolfe's statement. We see him through the prism of contemporary culture, 
one that sexualizes youth, especially female youth, even as it is repulsed by pedophilia. Anyway, though we speculate one way or the other, there really is no concrete evidence that he was sexually attracted to them. When his child friends grew, they only told positive stories of a warm friendship that continued on till adulthood. A friendship made by a man who probably missed the games that he would play with his younger siblings and had a lot of imagination to share. Where do I stand? I try not to show bias when I record my episodes and I've obviously failed in this aspect, but I do tend to believe in the good in people. And I think Charles really just enjoyed his friendship with kids because he missed his family and maybe he wanted a child of his own. Who knows? What I do know is that the negative view of him only seemed to have arisen several decades after his death, giving him no opportunity to defend himself. I don't really believe in guilty until proven innocent. Thank you to Lenny from AliceInWonderland.net for letting me use a lot of his resources, as well as Guts Klug, I hope I said that right on Twitter as at Bonnetmaker, for really helping me out with his resources. I know I didn't really add much to the discussion, I don't think, but... I hope you and everyone else liked it. Definitely thank you guys for joining me on this adventure. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe, like, and share if you found this episode interesting. I would love to hear from you, so please leave a comment below if you have anything that you want me to know or tips to improve on. If you're listening to it anywhere else, please subscribe, like, and share it to people you think might like it anyway. And you can also email me at classicalgliza at gmail.com. Again, I'm Gliza, and this has been Classical Adventures for One. See you on the next adventure. <laughs>